Let's move beyond your comfort zone and into your genius zone because it's time to tap into the higher wisdom within you, your higher genius. I'm your host, Christy Turley, author of the book, The Intuition-Led Business, serial entrepreneur and intuitive intelligence expert. Imagine the possibilities when you can make better decisions and create practical and sustainable solutions using the power of your intuition, your higher genius. This is the Higher Genius Podcast. Today we have a really special episode because um, Kareth and I felt like this is a conversation um, that was worth having. And it's a conversation that I hope, that we hope sparks conversations around the world and around uh, this country to help bring healing to a very difficult time in our history. And so um, we're not really sure what's going to come out of this, what we're actually going to say, but we hope that in a way it serves as a model to have these conversations. And um, Kareth is actually a diversity specialist. She's very, very educated as well. She'll, she'll fill in the blanks. I have her, her very impressive bio in front of me, but if I miss anything, please fill us in. She's a speaker, a humorist, a comedian. Uh, she's a TV and radio personality. She's been on a lot of different media platforms that you would recognize. Uh, she's an author, an entrepreneur, and a wife. And she's all about uh, having a sense of humor, even when we're dealing with very taboo subjects. And uh, her whole specialty is about diversity and really changing the discussion around diversity and how it has been taught for decades. So welcome, Kareth, to the show. Thank you, Christy. Thank you so much for having me back. And I, I that was a great intro. And I love that the last thing you said was changing the discussion and the conversation around diversity. And the first way that I'm actually attempting to change it is by using a different word. Because when a lot of people hear diversity, like we know it's a positive thing, right? To have a diverse portfolio, even to have a diverse environment because you're getting different ideas and, and thoughts and, and experiences for other people. However, when you're trying to teach diversity, right? Or impart um, how we can better get along, it's, it's been tainted a bit. It's almost like the word's been hijacked. And I mean that because a lot of times when people come in to teach um, training on diversity, people are divided into groups. Uh, if you're a woman, person of color, uh, per someone in the LGBTQIA community, you are considered diverse. If you are not in either of those categories, you're not diverse. And I think that's a really poor way to even try to start the conversation by dividing people up further. We already know we're different, right? Nobody in the same family is the same. So it's kind of like the law of attraction. If that's where our focus is, that's where we're going to go. Oh, well, we're so different. We're so different. How could we possibly come together? So I like to flip the switch and with the terminology that I actually trademarked called inversity. Inversity is still a nod to acknowledging, respecting, honoring the different qualities, characteristics, ethnicities, traits that we bring to the table. But instead of focusing on what separates and divides us, why don't we focus instead on what do we have in common? 
How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly, how can we be introspective, right? Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity. And I think if we can, that can be a starting point, then we can see some major shifts. That is so brilliant. I am a student of words. I love language. And the point you made about diversity, think about those first three letters, D-I-V. It's the first three letters of divide, which is exactly the opposite of what we need to be doing right now, which is uniting and loving and showing that we care. And then the inversity, I love that too, because the first two letters is, uh, is I N in, which is inclusive. It's, it's introspective. All those words that you said, that is just completely blew the lid off the whole conversation right there. So <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah. So, I mean, how did we get here? I mean, I, I know like for decades we've been watching shows and movies that have stereotypes and we've been taking diversity training at businesses that either we run or we've been a part of. So all of these things could be the answer, but what in your viewpoint, like, why do you think we're here where we are right now? You know, I was, I was speaking to my mother who obviously is black, not obviously, I shouldn't say that because that isn't obvious. Um, but my mother is black. She is fair, uh, complected, but she's black. She grew up in the sixties. And I asked her, I said, you know, with everything that's going on right now, what's the difference between now and the sixties when there was this like love peace, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., JFK, you know, bringing everybody together movement moment. And she said something that was very, very disconcerting for me. She said, back then we had hope. And that upset me because I do have hope. I will not let go of my hope. But I get it from her perspective as someone who grew up seeing signs um, and having water fountains that were designated for white people versus her and her family. You know, and then you think you've gone further and then we have things that are happening right now in the world. Um, so it's almost been like this series, I think, of, of three steps forward, six steps back. And I think how we talk about this now is critical. You know, this is bigger than just jumping on the bandwagon of having a hashtag. Um, this is bigger than, you know, being part of a protest. Not that protests aren't really good. Peaceful protests are powerful. And I think they help people feel empowered. But after you go home, how are you going to live your life in a way that keeps promoting what you now say you stand for and what you may have stood for for a very long time. I think for a lot of people, their eyes have been open to the fact that we, it is so ingrained this idea of bias in stereotyping, right? I don't think it's intentional always, but there are three things when I, when I go in and I do a session um, for a corporation or, or, or university or, or, or college, I talk about the three reasons we stereotype. The first is that it's human nature. You know, this is kind of a fight or flight thing. It goes back to survival. Is something going to be a threat to me? 
Um, am I, but you know, back in the day when we were cave people, it was, is this going to be physical threat, right? Like a, a warring tribe or a saber toothed tiger. Now, while there's still an element of physical threat there, it's, is this going to be an emotional threat? Am I going to be taken out of my comfort zone because that person is the other? And I don't know how to deal with that or handle it or say the right thing. The second reason we stereotype is because we've learned, you know, we have picked it up. I know you are familiar with Jack Canfield and, and, and his, you know, he's the guy at Chicken Soup of the Soul, but he's also an incredible orator and speaker. And I've seen him multiple times. And one of the things that I learned from him is we were born with two fears. That's it, two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of, fear of loud noises. Everything else we've learned. So we've learned to be afraid of other people. We've learned to see ourselves different from other people. We've picked that up from our families. You know, what they've told us about other people and what they've told us about ourselves, right? We've learned by watching television and movies and playing video games. You know, I grew up on Disney. Like I'm sure so many, you know, people in our generation have. And you know, what do the princesses look like? You know, that's what our vision is. That, that's become ingrained in our psyche of what, you know, the idea of, of beauty is. And even though they're getting more diverse, they're still thin. They still have certain features. Um, you know, we learn this stuff. And the last reason is we, we have an ego, right? We have an ego or they call it the id. And it's a really powerful thing. And the ego likes to be in charge and likes to know where it stands. And how better to know where you stand and feel like you're right than by putting someone in a category putting someone in a box and doing the same thing for yourself. Yeah. I feel like as humans, we really want to categorize things. We want to name things because that's how we understand the world. That's one of our creative powers. We have the power to create, we have the power to destroy, and we have the power to name things. And, you know, it is so limiting when just like you said, regardless of skin color, right? When you categorize yourself, oh, I do this, therefore I am a person who does this, you know, like a dentist or a doctor. That's not your identity. That's not who you actually are, right? It's much more uh, infinite than that. You know, you could say things like I'm a creator or I'm, you know, I'm an innovator or, or these words that don't have a limit to them, right? I also want to go back to what you were saying about the Disney princesses. Okay, so uh, so when I was growing up, there was this show called The Cosby Show. We watched it as a family every week. So yeah. what were the things that I was learning at a young age watching the show? Do you know, like, like, what would you say to that? Like, I, I grew up on that too. Right. Yeah. And I used to think, do these people, do the writers have a camera in our house? Because the episodes, okay. were so much. because my life was such a reflection of that. Okay. Right. Versus the previous sitcoms that had black families in it, like good times. Mm. Right. Or what's happening. And, and different strokes it, was another it, one. Yeah. Different strokes, but that was different because there wasn't like a black parent there. Oh, okay. Right? Different Strokes was Mr. Drummond, who'd adopted these two poor black kids who'd been his like, housekeeper's kids, right? Mm -hmm. The Cosby Show was monumental for so many people for multiple reasons. One is that you saw a nuclear family that was black, 
which you hadn't really seen before on television. And they were just the normal suburban, even though they were in New York and, and Brooklyn, family. There were two professionals. The mom was a professional. She was a lawyer. The dad was a doctor. And the thing is, there have been generations of doctors and teachers and professionals in Black families. But people who'd never experienced it or didn't know families like that, they didn't know that existed. Like for a lot of people, that was just fiction. Mm. But for my family and my history, that was reality. But it was so refreshing to see that. And, you know, it's so unfortunate that not just for him, obviously for his victims, but that Bill Cosby had such a a public and, and tragic downfall because what he represented for so many, especially comedians like myself, was this ability to be bigger than your race or your ethnicity, right? To be bigger than the label that was put on you as a Black person in America. He was America's dad. Mm-hmm. He was America's dad. And, you know, I actually had a, a show after I was on IMIS in the morning called America's Girlfriend because that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be defined just by being black. I didn't want to be defined by the color of my skin because there is, like you said, we are so Mm multidimensional to just be categorized by those, those small things. It's, it's, it's absurd. And I think, you know, when we were talking off air, um, after the last time we chatted, you know, I, I mentioned going to study abroad. I studied at Oxford in England and what was so beautiful about my experience there was I felt like I felt this freedom because I was just Kareth and I was just American. I wasn't black. I wasn't African-American. I wasn't color. I was just Kareth. And I didn't even realize I was carrying that weight until it wasn't there anymore. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now for a lot of people is people are understanding there are people who may be your friends, your close friends, who because of their skin color have an extra weight on them that you would never know because you've never had to carry it. And that's not your fault. I don't think there's any room for shame or guilt. But what I do think is now that we're having this great awakening, people, you you can't unsee what you've seen, right? You can't unhear what you're hearing. And so to move forward, it's not to sweep it under the rug and be like, oh, okay, you know, or claim you're woke or just go to a protest or just write BLM, you know, on your, your, or black out your face. But like, that's, that's not what the work is. The work is moving forward in your actions now to look out for when things aren't looking like they're balanced or equal or fair. And paying attention, you know, actually listening to what people are saying. And this is an exercise that everybody needs to practice. You know, I give an example um, when I teach about active listening. And it's hand in hand with responsible reactions. But active listening is, you know, the expression is not what you say, but how you say it. Well, sometimes it's not what you hear, but how you interpret it. The very simple question, where are you from, can mean totally different things to people based on their experience. You and I, I mean, I grew up in a very privileged life. I, there's no getting around it. I grew up with my two parents. I grew up in a fluent neighborhood. I'm educated. I have had access to, you know, all of the wonderful benefits of the quote unquote, you know, American life, right? 
when I hear where are you from, I think people are asking, oh, they, they hear a little bit of my Southern accent, right? But for some people, the where are you from is, do you belong here? Mm. Because that is a question they get asked. And that is sometimes what people mean. So it's a responsibility on both people's ends to think about what they're saying, but also how they're hearing it. And if they're not sure, delving deeper and say, well, why do you ask? Where did that come from? You know, that's where the responsible reactions come in. Yeah, that's such a good point because we can very easily take things out of context because of previous experiences. I mean, I know I have, and I'm, you know, I, we're not talking about color again in this discussion. I mean, we are, but we're not like it, it is a universal human thing to be triggered by something that someone says and like that maybe that's not even what they meant. That's not even like where they were coming from at all, but it's, it's how you receive the message and how the message is given and equally they are both important, right? And really understanding where the other person is coming from, whether you're the receiver or the messenger in the situation, right? Absolutely. That's great. Um, This is about about raising people's EQs, emotional quotient, without insulting their IQs. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that. Yes. Yeah. And, and these are very interesting times. And I, I feel like, you know, using some critical thinking skills are also in order. Right. And, and really looking at what are the images that I'm being shown here on social media, on the news, in, you know, pop culture, we mentioned Cosby show. Um, and that was good for me to hear because I had no idea. I'm like thinking back all the shows that I've ever watched, like, what have I actually been taught? Like trying to, you know, think of like all the things that have come into my personal experience that have taught me the way to look at life and that critical thinking skills is actually help, you know, when you do that, you're separating, well, what do I really think? What do I really feel from, and separating that from what I'm being shown and taking that at face value? Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, they take things at face value, like the news, you know, why wouldn't they be telling me the truth? Why wouldn't they be? The only problem is, and I'm not talking about one network in particular. I'm talking about all of them. Right. I agree. News is a business. Okay. They are a business and they want to make money. That doesn't mean that they aren't giving you information. They are, but are they giving you all of the information or are they giving you the information that's going to make you keep turning in? So you can't turn away. So you become just so invested. Um, you know, having, you know, I call myself a recovered journalist. I got my degree in broadcasting, Um, And I was in the business for a while at a local level, a small ABC affiliate, and then a national level, both on ABC radio out of New York, and I worked for The View. Um, And while that wasn't news, it was Barbara Walters, and it was network TV, and it was still a a, a, a medium for disseminating information and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And what I learned there was... I learned a great deal. You know, I learned how to produce and write and book, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, But to me, 
it wasn't fulfilling because it was lacking in being able to, I feel like, tell the whole truth, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I was so attracted to stand-up comedy because comedy was just like, wow, there, there were no barriers. There was nobody saying, you can't say that. And not that I'm foul or vulgar. You know, I, I didn't need it for that reason. I needed it because I wanted to be able to express myself fully and shed light on some of the taboo things and, and make people think about stuff that's going on. And I think the great comics of our time and before have done that, you know, from Dave Chappelle back to Richard Pryor, Dick Gregory, you know, um, George Carlin, excuse me, um, Lenny Bruce, you know, Bill um, Hicks, brilliant people who may have seemed like they were kind of stepping over the line, but in doing so, they made you think. Mm-hmm. And it made you go, huh, I never, I never saw it that way before. And that's why I use humor in a lot of the work that I do. A, because nobody should be lectured on this stuff. The best way to get somebody not interested is to lecture them or shame them or tell them you're wrong for thinking this way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong for thinking anyway. I just want to open your eyes to another way to maybe see something or interpret it or, or view it. I want you to have epiphanies on your own. I am just a guide in this. Yeah, I love that. And that's exactly what we need. Again, the critical thinking, you're sparking that critical thinking through the humor and talking about these taboo, painful subjects and getting people to really look at it without being, you know, uh, what, what do they used to do? Throw tomatoes at, at the person okay. if they didn't like what they were saying. Get pulled off the, <laughs> the hook. Yeah. The crook. Yeah. So, um, we were just talking about, you know, how, how you have these conversations. And one of the things is, is, is yes, to be open, but also to not find offense in everything. You know, it's really easy to be offended these days. It's really easy to take something out of context. It's really easy. But I think where you come into your responsibility is, is what is the person's intention, right? What was behind what they said? And I call it the seven C's why people say wackadoodle stuff, right? Um, the first two are couth and class. Sometimes people just don't have any, right? They just don't have it. They weren't raised right. I don't know what else their problem was, but they just they just don't have it. They're not classy. They don't have any couth. They just don't have it. Uh, the second is is people are, are careless. You know, they just, it, it, it slips out. They, they weren't thinking about it. Like it just didn't occur to them that that was like, Oh yeah. Like they just, it was like a brain fart, right? The fourth is clueless. And I have fallen into that category completely. We all have, I think. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you a question. What do you call it when you sit down cross-legged on the floor? Like when your kids sit down cross-legged? Oh my gosh. Well, this is what we've been taught since we were in kindergarten. It's Indian style. That's what I grew up with it, right? I will go speak at these colleges now and to these young kids and these teenagers. And I ask them that question. And you know what they say? What? Crisscross applesauce. That's really? What it's called now. That's what it's called. The only reason I know it's called that is because my kids were in a karate class. And the instructor's like, okay, everybody, come up, sit down, crisscross applesauce. I'm like, that's not crisscross apples. That's in. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see why that would be considered not appropriate anymore, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But 
but would that ever occur to you if that was how you were raised? Like, why would you think anything else? Right. That's just what it's called. Right. Until you're taught, you know, until you know, until you learn. Mm -hmm. So like for people to be mad at me or think I was being like this horrible, you know, um, you know, ignorant person and, and, and berate me for that. Like, I just didn't know any better until I was taught. And that's what's happening right now for a lot of people. They're being taught. Um, back on track with the C's. Uh, let's see, I said, um, poof class, careless, clueless, um, comfortable. Comfortable is one. I think sometimes people get a little comfortable with where they are, um, thinking they're in you know, a certain company and saying things that they probably know aren't right, but they do it anyway, because they're like, oh, that person's not gonna mind or not gonna say anything. You know, most accidents in our cars happen, what, within like a five mile radius from home. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. We know that we're not paying as much attention. We know the terrain, right? And then the last C is callous. And some people are just a-holes. You know, I mean, there's just no getting around that. There are some people who are just jerks and they're going to be jerks. Um, I am of the belief that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I never tell anyone you have to work through it with them. You have like, that's your own personal individual decision, how much time and energy you're going to give someone else. Do I believe every heart and mind can be changed? I do. But again, you know, that's your personal choice. When it comes to teaching or when it comes to talking about this in a corporate environment, you know, what are you currently guiding companies to do and to say? If, I mean, if there's a CEO or entrepreneur listening to this that wonders, well, you know, I have some staff that might be hurting in this situation. Is it, is it better to talk to them directly, privately, have a company meeting, hire someone like you to come in? Like, what's the right thing? Of course, hiring me is the right thing to do. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. But part of why is because of my approach. And what I tell all leaders is that, you know, I think every person who is a leader understands that they're going to be growing pains. Um, that is how you gain strength. You know, it's like athletes. They know that their work is happening within their bodies when their muscles are sore. You know, that's when the body's repairing itself because it has been pushed to another level. And then what happens? You're stronger, you can do more, you're more powerful. And that's what this work is about. You know, getting in there, doing the hard work, having the uncomfortable conversations, learning how to have conversations, how to hear what their employees are saying, all of them, and and figuring out a way to move forward and let that pain that discomfort turn into to fuel and strength. Because listen, everybody's company, I don't care who you are, what you do, you, you want to be profitable, right? Well, you can only be profitable if you have people who feel valued. Well, how do you show people they feel valued? You show them that they are of value and they have value to you by holding them as valuable. And by listening by having programs, by having, and I don't just mean like catering to the, the, uh, what do they call them? The, um, they call them certain kinds of groups. Um, I, it's slipping my mind right now, 
but you know, there there'll be like a Hispanic organization and a black organization and this. But the problem is it's usually just like the black people who are in that group or the Hispanic people who are in that group or the LGBTQIA people who are in this group. And it really should be like everybody should be like intermingling within these groups so they hear what's going on. And I do have a problem with like to me, it seems someone like modern day segregation. You know, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of safe spaces. Like, understandably, safe spaces should be a place where everyone can come to the table and share their experiences, not you're excluded because you don't think the way I do or or you express yourself the way I do. It should be safe in that everyone's opinions should be allowed and heard, but you do it in a respectful manner. Yeah. I, I recently had an experience, um, with a mastermind and this group think was very pervasive. You know, everyone kind of had a similar business model, used a similar type of marketing campaign and very successful seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs. However, it was really lacking in diversity of thought or inversity. I'll start using your word. And, you know, I started getting a little bit uh, lost in this group because I kept feeling like, wait a second, I have a different thought here. I have a different opinion. And it was clear that I was one of the few that had that thought or opinion. And I, it made me afraid to share. Sure. Sure. And this can happen anywhere, right? We've got to foster these psychologically safe groups so that we can have discussion without fear of criticism or backlash or uh, anything like that. Because, you know, when we divide, we lose, Uh, you know, famous president once said, said, you know, divided, we fall united, we stand. So I love that you brought up diversity of thought because that should be part of the conversation as well. You know, I think, and that's another reason why I really prefer the term inversity because diversity, you know, when people think of it traditionally, they just think of, oh, you know, the color of your skin, you're, you practice a different religion. You, um, you know, you you're in this category based on how you look or how you love or how you pray. And the reality is like true diversity, like true diversity is it runs the gamut from our nationality, our age, the languages we speak, our socioeconomic status, um, and how, how we think, our political affiliations. Those are all things that bring diversity to the table. And, you know, they're not, um, you know, you can have one and, and have different things from different categories. They're, they're, you, they're not mutually exclusive. You can't just be this and this is where you stand and this is where you stay. Like there are, it's a multi-dynamic situation. We're not monoliths. And when we go in the realm of diversity, well, you you must be this if you in, or you're in this category. How can you possibly, you know, be be an artist and and a, an actor and be conservative? Like. That's just, you know, because it doesn't fit the stereotype that we like to use to be comfortable. And I think you touched on that earlier, too. You know, this idea of comfort. You know, when I was on a very, very popular morning news show, I shared that this is the time for us to be uncomfortable. Because through that discomfort, as I said, comes transformation. Much like a butterfly, right? 
that or an I oyster, love, an oyster I, who the makes the pearl right from the friction from that pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, that butterfly coming out of the chrysalis, you know, yeah. that is uncomfortable trying to squeeze through that teeny tiny little hole with that fat little body. Hmm. But if it doesn't, the fluid from its body will not go into its wings and it cannot soar. And that's what we need to do as, as individuals, as, as communities, as a country, we need to soar. We got to get uncomfortable. We got to go through some of the crud to get onto the other side where we can soar. And I do think it's possible. You know, I, I, I obviously didn't have the same experiences as my mother. Um, I've had a very different experience, but I've also still seen things. And I know that the reality she experienced, um, it, it exists for many still, but I have hope for a better world. I have hope that there, I know there are more good people than bad. I know there are more people who understand why this is an issue now and why we need to address it um, versus living in fear that it's going to take something away from them. Um, I think it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while, but that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing. We, we just don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't, who, who likes to be uncomfortable? Nobody. I want to be outside, you know, in the pool, hanging out, getting a little sun, not too much. Cause I actually burn surprisingly. <laughs> and you know, but who doesn't want that? But the reality is I got work to do. You know, I got, I got conversations to have that aren't going to be easy for everybody, myself included sometimes. So let's get a little more uncomfortable, shall we? Okay. <laughs> let's do it. So talk to me. And again, this is your opinion. You're not representing like a huge group of people. And again, we're modeling how to have this conversation, right? Um, and I'm listening to everything you're saying. I'm not going to argue, you know, it's like your opinion, right? We're allowed to have our opinions, right? And it's, again, like you said, not about um, getting someone, convincing someone to come to your side of the situation, right? So, but I would love your thoughts on these things. So a lot of people are, are seeing like Black Lives Matter. Okay. And they're saying, well, I think what you're saying is black lives matter too, you know, but they counter with all lives matter or blue lives matter. Why is this not helping things? That is a good, hard question. (laughs) And it's hard because people will have different opinions. This is my personal opinion. Again, not speaking for anyone but myself. Um, I would like to say that I think Black people, especially the ones who are part of the BLM movement, aren't saying all lives don't matter. Of course, all lives matter. Of course. But if everybody believed that, we wouldn't have to say Black lives matter. And it's because of the disparity in so many situations. It's because of the not just what we've seen on TV, but the experiences that black individuals have had. Sometimes it's been encounters with the police and they've been scary or violent. Sometimes it's as simple enough as, as being passed over for a role or not, you know, being included in, in meetings in corporate America, you know, being thought of as less than 
to say, listen, I matter too. And, and like you said, I think that, you know, mattering too, I just don't think it's as a fan. It doesn't sound as good. Like black lives matter too. <laughs> right. It doesn't, <laughs> but, but it's, but that's really the, the point. That's, that's the, that's the message. Like, Hey, look, we matter. Please understand. We matter. We want you to value us as the human beings that we are. We're not saying that Asian lives don't matter or white lives or Hispanic lives or, you know, people who are gay, like that, those matter. And of course, Blue lives matter. Police lives matter. These are the people who've been designated to be the, 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 the protectors of society. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now are the ones who have abused that power. But there are so many more who went into it because they want to do a good job. They want to serve and protect their communities. Um, like with the news, you're not going to see all the good stuff and all the good stories because that doesn't sell. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. That's what the media sells you. Exactly. Blood. <laughs> exactly. And listen, there are so many black people and people of color who have family who are police officers. One mm-hmm. of my very dear friends who is a, he's also, you know, in, in theater and arts, but he's, he, he serves. He's an, he's been an officer. Um, and, and think about how many people who are in the armed forces who are, you know, I mean, what a, you talk about a multicultural affair, you know, and you go in there and you're not, you're supposed to be not taught to see color. Cause this is, this is the person who's going to have your back. You shouldn't give a rat's fat fanny what color they are. If you need their life to save yours and they say, and vice versa, you know, again, it's this silly, silly division that we've been taught, right? That's been exacerbated by what we've seen in media and movies and video games that because of the packages we come in, we're different. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. You know, I think I'd, I'd shared with you um, again, when we weren't on the air, but I lecture at Stanford and I take, I, I was there this past year as part of the Knight Hennessy Scholars program. I was there as a uh, visiting expert and they had other visiting experts. And one was a a scientist, a biologist, and he was talking about CRISPR and DNA and genome genes and all these things that were just like fascinating, you know, because that's not my world at all. But I I stayed and I listened and it was phenomenal what I was taking in. And I I stayed after to talk to him and I, I wanted to know, you know, how, how close are we genetically? Like what, what really does separate us? Is it, you know, where our families are from? Like, you know, when people do that whole ancestry, you know, they trace mm-hmm. their, their DNA. You know, is it our blood type? Like what, what separates us from one another? And he looked me dead in the eye. He goes, Kareth, we are 99.999986% the same. Like we are all having hissy fits about the four tenth, the ten thousandths of a, of a percentage that we, that sets us apart. So we have to change our perspective. That's a big part of what happens that has to happen in corporate America. We have to change our perspective. Yes, we have to take into account people's different experiences, but we have to have that conscious empathy. And that's being able to say, okay, how does it feel for that person? And, and what is it like? Two things that we'll never fully be able to do because We'll never be able to swap lives. I mean, this isn't a movie. This is real life. 
I'll never know what it's like to be you. You'll never know what it's like to be me, but we can hear each other out and hear our experiences and, and take that in. Yeah. It's so interesting. That point. Oh, 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 whatever percent. I mean, that's, that's melanin, right? That's the, that's the factor in the skin. And, you know, um, my husband was telling me he lived in Mexico for some time and, um, some of the, the people there, they would put on a bunch of sunscreen and, and he's like, well, do you really burn? And well, no, but I don't want my skin to get any darker because Mm -hmm. that means something in their culture. Right. And so, I mean, we're talking about Mexico, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no real like huge population of white people there. This is Hispanics we're talking about. Right. And so, um, it's just melanin, right? I mean, now, what would you say to people who are like listening to this and they're like, it's not just melanin, you know, um, there's culture, there's, you know, the way you talk, share that story, please. About when you were, um, you were auditioning for a role in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> well, back to the whole, it's just melanin things. Cause like you said, people yeah. are probably like, no, it's more than that. And it, it, it's not that it's not more than that. It's, it's the perception right behind the being darker. It's how people have been treated around the globe based on their color here in America. You know, I used to have white friends in high school who would, I swear to God, put Crisco on <laughs> to go tan. Cause I'm like, okay. I'm like, why do I smell chicken? Um, <laughs> they wanted to look like me, right? There are people in Africa and even America who bleach their skin because they want to be lighter. There are people in Asia who wear, you know, the, the look, the look that you want to go for is pale and red hair because that's considered, you know, a higher level of, you know, because I think for so many you were viewed based on your color. Cause if you were and this has to do with class as well, if you were darker, then that meant you were outside in the sun. You weren't of nobility. You didn't have money. You had to be out there. You couldn't be inside luxuriating in the shade. So that was a differential of, you know, that showed people who, where you stood class-wise. Yeah. That's where we also get redneck too in the white, in the white community, redneck, mm-hmm. same thing, working class. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, oh, the story about my voice. So, you know, it, it, that's just another way we like to try to pit people against each other. Well, you don't sound a certain way. You don't say, I mean, I can't tell you how many times growing up I was told or teased for not sounding black. Right. And I'm talking friends, significant others, family members on every, forget it, every color, every and uh, what was interesting is, you know, I get to New York City, like the land of like a bajillion ethnicities, which was what was, I fell in love with it for. It was so different from the suburb I grew up in, North Texas. And I, I loved it. And I would go out for these roles, African-American roles. And when I would go out for voiceovers, because that's what my agent would send me out for, because duh, he'll look at me. I get there and I'd speak and I do the part and he'd be like, Oh, listen, um, Kareth, what we're going for is an urban sound. Can you do that? And mama was like, can you jazz it up a little? 
And of course, like, so you want me to scat? Like, what what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Chats it up a little. Like, I am from the suburbs of North Dallas. Like, this is how I talk. This is how my friends talk. And they've been teaching, but it's like, it's so crazy that we, again, have to stereotype people. And well, if you fit in this category, you look this way, then you should sound this way, or you should act this way. And it's so absurd. And I'm certainly not the only person who's ever had to deal with that. You know, I, I what's interesting enough is, you know, I have a, a couple of friends who are white, who grew up in primarily either Hispanic or black areas. And they'll say stuff or use terminology. People are like, why are you trying to act black? Why are you trying to? And it's like, they're not trying to act anything. That's just part of their, how they grew up. That's part of who they are. They're not putting on airs. They're not, you know, fronting as we say. <laughs> but what is so funny is when I do get on stage, you know, doing just stand up, I will see my audience stare at me. Cause they're like, what? Like, is she going to like stop talking like that? And the real voice is going to come out. Like, so they'll just stare at me for like a first couple minutes. Like, what is she like? This can't really because it just it's such a mind. We'll call it twist for them. It's such a mind twist for them because it doesn't it goes against everything that they thought they knew. And it's kind of cool because I love that it's making people have that critical thinking, like we said, and just kind of switch how they how they see things. Because it's it 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 triggers like, you know, it's something a different synopsis in the brain. To be like, oh, maybe not everybody who's black does this or says this or acts that way. And it's been, listen, I'm not going to lie. It has been a cross to bear, but it's okay because that's who I am and I'm being true to myself. And it was hard for a long time. I now know like what a gift it is to be able to speak to so many different people. It sucked when I was, you know, earlier. It's, I missed out on so many jobs in entertainment because I didn't fit the stereotype. And I refused to bend to be what they wanted. So I lost out, I lost out, but that's okay. I, to me, I still had my integrity intact. And I get, I know acting is acting, but I just, I wasn't gonna do that. I wasn't gonna be that representation. You know, that's why I've taken so certain jobs that I have. I, you know, when I joined up with Imus, Imus in the morning, I was on air with him after he had the Rutgers debacle, calling the Rutgers women's basketball team nappy-headed hoes. I remember thinking, if I don't take this job, someone else will, and they may not be as responsible with the position. This is my chance to be the anti-stereotype of what we typically see of Black women in the media. This is my chance. I love that. And I'm so glad that you did. (laughs) So, I mean, Okay. I'm really curious. What, what would you say to people who, you know, so I'm not old enough to remember the sixties. I I remember my parents, you know, they, they went through it, but yet they didn't live in the South where, where it got really, really bad. Um, and you know, I, I, I look at life. So, you know, we've had the first black president, you know, we've had Oprah, who had like the number one talk show, you know, we've had things like the Cosby show that showed a very healthy environment, like you mentioned. Um, what do you say to the people who are like, wait, I didn't, I didn't know there was a problem. Like what, (laughs) what's going on? Well, I say now's the time to, to understand that there is. And again, I, 
I think there's some people who knew and chose to kind of look the other way, but there's some people who truly were like, what? And I get it. Like as privileged a life as I've had, there are some things I'm hearing stories I'm hearing from friends who I grew up with, who had really horrible adverse incidents. And I'm not saying I haven't had uncomfortable things happen. You know, thank God. I, every time I've had an encounter with a police officer, it's been, well, I won't say positive because I did get a couple speeding tickets, <laughs> but it wasn't like I feared for my life. You know what I mean? I've had friends who, who've, who've had that fear for their life thing. Um, so to me, it was kind of a foreign thing. Like, and it's not like I'm hearing it for the first time. Like I knew that my brother had to be extra careful being in the very white suburb that we grew up in driving a nice car. They, there, he knew that he had to carry himself a certain way a way that his friends didn't have to worry about. Um, What I say is this, you may not fully understand what is happening, but that's why you start talking to people. And that's why you do some investigation and you read and you learn about the history and it may be uncomfortable. You may learn some things that make you sick to your stomach because there's a lot of sick, twisted stuff that has happened. Now, with that being the case, that doesn't mean you can't be a positive part of the moving forward. You know, I mean, if we don't learn history, it is destined to repeat itself, destined to. And so this is the time for you to stop watching, keeping up with the Kardashians, right? This is the time for you to, you know, put down Candy Crush, read an article or two, about what's going on, you know, read an article about the civil rights movement, read an article about, you know, the suffrage movement, understand why people are, are protesting. What are they protesting? Well, what, 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 what injustices are there? Especially if you don't think there are any, because that's just not been part of your world. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I agree with that. Okay. Another difficult question. Um, I've seen a lot on online and on in the news about kneeling. Mm. What's your what's your opinion on this? Hmm. Technically, it's a genuflex. <laughs> Say that again. I said technically, it's a genuflex. I think kneeling is really when you're on both knees, and that's part of prayer. Um, I'm not going to go down any rabbit hole stuff, but as far as the action that has been in the forefront of the news, I think when Colin Kaepernick, who was the person who brought it to the full world's attention for, and for the reasons why, um, it's a lot like, you remember that dress that was all over the internet? It was a British woman who was going to wear this dress to her daughter's wedding. And she sent it out to a couple friends. And some people saw the dress and were like, oh, that's pretty. That's a lovely navy and black dress. And then some people of her friends were like, why would you wear white to your daughter's wedding? That white and gold dress. Why would you do like, that's just, that's not what you do. You don't wear white to somebody else's wedding. And she's like, what are you talking about? Because the dress was actually black and blue but some people saw it as white and gold. And so she's, it started going around. Do you remember seeing this? No, I don't. 
I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. And I, cause what I do is I use the side by side. I wish I had it. I could we'll, I, we'll put it in the, in the link in the show notes. So perfect. other people can see it too. Perfect. But it was a big deal. And what's interesting is it, this went around the globe. Like, how do you see this dress? And some people saw it as white and gold and some people saw it as black and blue. And I swear to God, it cost a couple of friendships. I'm pretty sure a couple of divorces happened. And the main reason people got upset with it is because everybody who saw it thought they were right. They were looking at it with their own two eyes. They knew what they saw. Now, scientifically, there was a reason why people saw it differently, right? Mm-hmm. It had to do with how our eyes take in light. And there have been a couple different examples of those things. Like there's a new one with a tennis shoe. You either see aqua and white or blue and pink or something like that, like white and pink or gray and aqua. But long story short is it has to go back with how we perceive things. So there were some people who saw the, the, the genuflecting as an affront to servicemen and women. And some people saw it as a silent, peaceful protest. And it had to do with where you were on the side of things, how, where your perception was. Um, now we have a clear understanding of why he was doing that. Because for a lot of people who thought that it was an insult, they didn't understand, they didn't know that there was that big a problem or an issue with violence necessarily. Or they were the people who looked the other way and just wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. Um, we're not always going to see things the exact same way because we're coming from these different experiences. That doesn't make one thing right or wrong. Now, I think Colin Kaepernick was very clear in stating that he was not trying to disparage anything about the military as he had people in his family who are part of the military. Um, But, you know, so much of this has to do with not just what people see, but what they want to see and what they don't want to see. And there's another great little visual of two people standing on either side of the number, a number. And on one side, it looks like the number nine. On the other side, it looks like the number six. So, so much of what we see has to do with where, where we're standing. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of this metaphor, and I don't remember what culture it comes from, but it's five blind men standing around an elephant. And they're each asked, what is this that's right in front of you? And one of them says, oh, I think it's a tree. Another one says, oh, I think it's a... I'm making this up. I don't remember everything, but it's like, I, I think it's something else. And the moral of the story is they're all blind. They're just touching the part of the elephant that's right in front of them. And if they were all talking to each other, you know, they would have a holistic perspective of what was actually in front of them, an elephant, right? And, um, and that's why it's so great to share perspectives and to come together and um, be inclusive of other, other people's thoughts and opinions because in a way it helps you to shed whatever, you know, lens or filter that you've been looking at life through. And it allows you to experience life in a different way or see life through a different perspective or a lens. And I think that gives us a greater perspective, a bigger picture of what this earth life is all about. I really feel like we're here to learn love. I feel like all this upheaval is, is really like what's on the other side of it, the silver lining, if you will, 
is to learn love. I could not agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. That's really, that's what's at the root of this. You, you can't, you know, the difference between love and hate, like people think hate is the opposite of love. It's not indifference. And that's again, why we have to go in love to learn, to explore, to expand, to listen and, and to care, to care about each other, to care what happens to your neighbor. You know, we, it's very easy to kind of stay in our own little bubbles and with our families and with our groups and, you know, with our comfort level, because listen, birds of a feather flock together. That's not just an expression because it's rhymes. It's, it's just what we do. Um, but understand that people are going to have different experiences and it's okay that you haven't had those experiences, but that doesn't mean that the, their experiences should be discounted, you know, especially if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Um, so, but yeah, this is, I mean, that's what this is about. This is about love. This is about focusing again. What do we have in common more than what separates us? And, and primarily it's, we want to be loved. We want to feel worthy. We want to be respected. We want to be heard. People just want to be heard. And honest to God, I think like going back to what does Black Lives Matter mean? It means hear us, hear us. I love that. Well, I feel like we could end there. That is like the best final thought ever. <laughs> what What else is on your heart? What else would you like to share here today? Oh, goodness. You know, I've got two little kids. You got little kids. I We have to do better. We just, we have to make the world for them that we want to see. We have to instill in them a sense of, of honor and respect and letting them know that, you know, the other people in the world are their brothers and sisters because we are genetically connected, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, we are. And so, you know, I, I don't want them thinking that the world is full of hate and, and bad people and just like the, the awfulness that we're seeing on the news on a regular basis because it sells. Um, so we have to take, you know, we have to be responsible for, for passing that, the good stuff on to our kids so that they understand that, you know, we're, we're, we really are, we're in this together. I hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave a like, comment, and or review. Every interaction, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, helps this podcast to reach more people like you. Thank you for tuning in to the Higher Genius Podcast.